0: And just before we look into God's word, let's have a word of prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for uh, the privilege as believers to gather together. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and the cross of Calvary. The salvation is ours because of his work done there for us. And we do pray that, Lord, you bless now this day as we join together both here and online. That, Lord, that uh, our hearts would be refreshed by your word, that you'd encourage us through its truth. Father God, that uh, you had used me to be a blessing this morning, and we pray that, Lord, you bless each and every one of us, as we come together around your word. Lord, magnify your name, and encourage us, Father God, today, and may you get all the praise and all the glory, for this we ask in Jesus' name, amen. In Romans chapter 6, we have introduced to us the great doctrine of, uh, sorry, in Romans chapter 5, we had introduced to us the great doctrine of justification, and now in in Romans chapter 6, we have the beginning of uh, the introduction, or if you like, an introduction to a new doctrine. That is the start of a section on the doctrine of sanctification. The word sanctification isn't found here in Romans chapter 6. However, the Greek word from which we get the English word sanctification is found twice in Romans chapter 6. It's found in verse 19. It says, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh, For as you have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members as servants unto righteousness and unto holiness. That word holiness is the Greek word from which we get an English word, sanctification. And then in verse 22 we read, Now being made free from sin and become servants of God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Now so while the word sanctification is not mentioned in Romans 6, it certainly is the theme of Romans chapter 6. Justification declares us righteous, while sanctification seeks to make us righteous, and ultimately glorification, we will be made righteous. And to say that this topic is needed today, this topic of sanctification, is an understatement. Consider with me, for instance, an article that uh, I read, which said, sin, isn't, sin is as normal for the Christian as falling down is normal for a baby learning to walk. Now, while it's true that no one arrives at sinlessness and a sinless state in this life, and you and I will not be sinless this side of glory, the statement that I just read conveys to you and I an erroneous impression. You see, it suggests to you and I that as believers, we need not to be concerned about living a carnal life about sinning regularly, because sinning regularly, living a car life, is normal for the believer. This is the attitude which Paul is now addressing here in Romans chapter 6. Even though Paul knew that we couldn't be perfect, and Paul reflects that when we get to Romans chapter uh, chapter 7, he talks about that very fact. Even though Paul knew and believed that we could not be perfect, he also believed that we did not need to sin. So he says that we can have victory over sin. And he uses three words in this chapter to explain how we obtain victory over sin. The first word is the word know, and it's found in verses 1 through 10. The second word is the word reckon, it's found in verse 11. And the third word is yield, found in verses 12 to 23. Now, of course, we're not going to get to these three words today and explore the whole chapter in one hit. We're actually only look just to the first two verses. But in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, Paul says in order for us to have victory, we need to know some things. Firstly, thing he says we need to know that grace is not freedom to sin. Grace is not freedom to sin. Look in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Romans chapter 5 concluded with the blessed statement that grace, the grace of God, far exceeds human sin. Look in verse 20 moreover, of chapter 5. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound and that's a wonderful truth that there is sufficient grace to deal with all of our sin and that no matter how much sin there is grace will always exceed that demand and it's a glorious truth where sin abounded grace did much more abound but that truth has been misunderstood and distorted by many It's saying this fact, they say this, it does not matter what you do, sin as much as you like. Or if sin magnifies the grace of God as it does, then why not sin more that the grace of God might be more magnified, that the grace of God might be displayed more abundantly. Why not sin more that grace might be demonstrated more? Let us continue in sin that grace may abound. And that's Paul's question here. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin, that grace may abound? Those that teach this, those that teach that you and I can continue in sin, that you and I ought to continue in sin, that grace may abound, that grace might be seen more abundant, those that teach that it's okay to do that, falsely assume that the purpose of keeping the law was to gain righteousness with God that somehow keeping the law makes us more righteous with God. And they misunderstand the concept of what the law was all about. Now Paul has just spent five chapters explaining that salvation does not come about by the law. And particularly chapter 5, he has spent the subject of justification to explain to you and I that we're not saved by the law. Keeping the law doesn't make us righteous. Nor once we've been saved, does keeping the law continue to make us righteous in that sense? Paul has taught that salvation was of grace, not of the law. And these misguided teachers that he's addressing here in Romans chapter 6 saw no reason to keep God's commands now because they were saved by grace. And if grace is what it's all about, then it doesn't matter what you do now that you're saved. God's law doesn't matter. God's law is irrelevant. God's commands don't matter. Do as you please now that you're saved. And so they ask, shall we continue in sin? The word continue there means to abide in, to remain in, to embrace, to persist in sin. Should we persist in sin? Should we continue to sin? Should we continue to abide, remain in sin? The grace may abound. And Paul says that that is preposterous. It's ridiculous. Know the horror in Paul's voice in verse 2. God forbid. Strong language. God forbid. The word God forbid, which is translated God forbid, actually means to. uh, by no means. It's unthinkable. That we should continue in sin. This is a preposterous, ridiculous statement. To continue in sin that grace may abound, you've missed the whole point of grace. You missed the whole point of what God did when He saved us by grace. You've missed it. If you think that we can continue in sin. Paul explains why this idea is preposterous in verse 2 through verse 23 of Romans chapter 6, he's going to explain to us just why it's ridiculous to think that it's okay to continue to sin just because we're saved by grace. He wants you and I to understand that being justified by grace is not a license to sin. Rather, it's quite the opposite. God did not intend to save you and I by grace so that you and I could live as we please. Grace means that we have freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. Let me say that again. Grace means we have freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. What those who think that grace gives us liberty to sin fail to understand is the whole meaning and the purpose of grace which is amazing because the Apostle Paul has made abundantly clear what the purpose of grace is in chapter 5 verse 21, look what he says that sin this is talking about grace, because verse 20 he says, moreover the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded grace did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned under death even so might grace reign through righteousness and eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord the Apostle puts it plainly to you and I here. Here we see the whole business of grace. It's not to allow you and I to continue in sin, but it's to deliver you and I from the bondage and the reign of sin and put us under the reign of grace. We've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of sin, and we've been placed in the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of grace, and God has delivered us from sin to righteousness. He's delivered us from the bondage of iniquity unto freedom in Christ. That's the whole point of grace. So when someone asks, shall we therefore continue in sin that grace might abound, he's merely showing that he's failed to understand either the tyranny of sin or the object and purpose of grace and its marvelous reign. Or to put it positively, a man who really understands justification, its meaning and its purpose will never think like that. He'll never think that it's okay to sin that grace may abound. He'll never even speak like that. Because the whole point of grace is that you and I have victory over sin. Because you and I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because we've been placed in Christ as salvation. We have a living union with Christ. We have a totally new relationship to sin. I mean, the whole point of Romans chapter five. Remember, we are either in Adam or we we're in Christ. Those in Adam are condemned, unrighteous, on the way to hell. Those in Christ are on the way to heaven. They've been saved by grace. There's a new relationship taking place. We stand in a new position. We stand in a relationship with Christ. We are His children. We no longer live under the control of sin. And because of our new relationship with Christ, this living union that we have with him, we have freedom from sin because of his death. Yet many believers today seem to be more interested in freedom to sin than freedom from sin. You know, the justification of Romans chapter 5 and the subsequent relationship we have with Christ means the believer should no longer allow sin to have control over their lives. So the Lord would have you and I firstly to understand, to know and to understand the grace of God. That grace is not freedom to sin, but freedom from sin. Secondly, the Lord will have you and I know that we are dead to sin. We are dead to sin. Verse 2. God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? The question that we need to ask now is this. Does this mean that we are sinless as something? You know, we're dead to sin and we should no longer live therein. Does this mean that you and I, because we're saved by grace through faith, that we are sinless? Well, the answer to that, the simple answer to that is no. And that's not what Paul is trying to say in Romans chapter 6. Being dead to sin means that those who have been saved by grace, saved from sin, do not continue as a deliberate choice to sin. When we're saved from sin, our desires have changed. And we no longer should allow sin to motivate our lives. The motivation for you and I as believers ought to be Christ, Christ likeness, living for Him. The motivation of our lives as believers ought not to be to sin. It ought not to be the desire of our hearts to sin. You know, like a caterpillar, when it becomes a butterfly, it can no longer be a caterpillar. And the question would be, why would a butterfly want to be a caterpillar again? I mean, when you think of the beauty of a butterfly and the ugliness of the grub that that butterfly comes from, you would wonder why the caterpillar would ever want to go back to be uh, a, a, you know, a, a grub or whatever you want to call it. Why would it want to go back to that? And the same is true for you and I. Once we're saved, we're new creatures in Christ. We're no longer under the reign of sin. So why would you and I want to be in bondage to sin? That's the point Paul's making here. Since you've been delivered from sin, the thing that was sending us to hell, we've been delivered from that by grace through faith. We're now in relationship to Jesus Christ. Why would you and I want to willingly be in bondage to sin again? Why would we want to do that? See, when Christ died, we died. When Christ rose, we rose. And therefore, there is no need to struggle to fight against sin. The battle has already been won. Paul is simply saying he doesn't believe that you and I as believers should sin. So the answer to the question, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? There's no way. Why? Because we're dead to sin. Look at First John chapter 3. Please. First John chapter 3. And verse 9. Whoso is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. This is the reality. We're born again. And we should not want to sin. And yet I can almost hear you all saying, but that's not the reality. The reality is that we all struggle with sin. That's the Christian life, isn't it? You know, as I was praying this message this week, I was thinking about my own life. The, the, the very real struggle that we have as believers is not sinning. One of the areas that we fight is seeking to do righteousness at all times. One commentator put it this way, many a Christian has a testimony of faith, however, they're controlled by some carnal habit. They would like to rid themselves of them. For a time, they enjoy freedom from them. Then at an unexpected moment, they fall again. This happens repeatedly. Then the believer is disturbed about the situation. Their remorse shows that they are a true believer, for if they weren't saved, they wouldn't be troubled. Yet such a defeated life as this is a poor testimony They hear people talk about the victorious life of the believer, but such a life doesn't seem possible for them. While they rejoice in Christ and have assurance that they are saved, they at the same time are miserable. That's true for many believers. The battlefield, the struggle in their life is over these besetting sins, these things that just can't seem to get the victory over. They are troubling. And we're miserable in that situation because we are saved and we feel defeated by sin. But Romans chapter 6 was given to you and I by the Lord to explain to you and I the victory is possible. You and I do not have to be defeated by sin. In regard to this, you and I need to understand Romans chapter 6 and verse 2. We need to Before you get to the rest of this chapter, we need to fully understand what is meant by how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? What does that mean? Well, Paul says, How shall we who died, because the word dead here is a past tense, how shall we who have died in the past sin? Who have died in the past to sin, live any longer therein? We are dead once we're saved, to sin. So how shall we live in it? The shall we is a future. Seeing we've died in the past to sin, how can we live any longer? How can we live a life in the future in that sin that we're dead to? Paul's answer to the question of do we as believers continue in sin is no. It's not possible for us to remain in sin. His reason is that those of us who are justified are dead to sin. And if we're dead to sin, we can't live in it. One commentator put it this way. A person who died is dead to the earth, can't live in it. If they could, it would be awfully spooky. If you are dead to this world, you're living somewhere else. And dead people don't interact with us. We don't have zombies walking around talking to us all day long, you know. It's not a reality. If somebody's dead to this world, then they are living someplace else. Other than this world. And that is not sinlessness. It's not sinless perfection that he's speaking about here. He's speaking about freedom from the bondage of sin. Now, this may confuse us. Because we know that even though we're justified, we do commit sin. Yet Paul says here, how can we live any longer therein if we're dead to sin? So here's the confusion. If we're dead to sin, and we should no longer live in that sin, how come do we keep on sinning? How can that be a reality? Because obviously he's not talking about sinless perfection, Otherwise everyone in this room is probably not saved because I doubt that any of us are sinlessly perfect. Okay? That you and I have every day of our lives never commit a sin. That's not a reality for any of us. So he can't be saying that. That can't be what he means here. And that's why the confusion comes. How can he say that we're dead to sin? Well, the answer is this, that Paul is not arguing that a believer can't sin. But the sin is no longer our master. You see, if sin were our master, if you and I were still under Adam, you and I would still reside under the condemnation of our sin. But there is no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. That's Romans 8 verse 1. There is no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. We're not condemned because we're in Christ we stand in a new situation we're in Christ by grace and therefore we don't stand condemned therefore sin is no longer our master Christ is our master and knowing this should empower the believer not to yield to the former master the argument here is quite simple We are dead to sin, therefore we should not serve it. Positionally in Christ, we have a new master. Positionally in Christ, we no longer are under the bondage to sin. Positionally in Christ, sin is no longer our master. Once you and I were under the rule and reign of sin, but now you and I stand on the rule and reign of grace. Romans 5.21 That sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto what? Eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, it's up to you and I to recognize this fact. To count on it. To yield to our new Master. It's not so much that we are dead to sin if we were, we would not feel temptation. Rather, we died to sin. Now, in order to explain this, we need to remember what death in the Bible means. And when we understand that, I think we start to understand what's been talked about here. Death in the Bible means separation. When you and I died spiritually, when Adam sinned and we died spiritually, there was a separation between the the body and the soul. The soul died. There was a spiritual relationship between God and man ended. When somebody dies physically, then there's a separation of the body and soul. Death is separation. When somebody dies eternally, they spend eternity in hell. It's a separation of man from God. Death is a separation. To say that the believer has died to sin means then that he's separated from sin's control. Sin is not eradicated because sin is a reality. But you and I do not have to give in to the control of sin. We don't have to give in to its power. You and I have a new master. And if you and I will yield unto him, and if you and I will allow him to work in us, then he will enable you and I to have victory over sin. Sin is, as I said, not eradicated. We need to remember that. You and I will sin. And formerly, you and I were under the control of sin. But now that control is broken. In Christ, we died and we became members of his household. One commentator explained it this way. Our death to sin can be likened to the relationship of citizens to a deposed dictator. When the dictator is deposed, he still continues to live, but he is not in power anymore. The people whom he wants control do not have to give him their allegiance. Some people may choose to do so, but they do it voluntarily. And that is why you and I struggle with sin. There's an old master over here. He wants our allegiance. He wants our obedience. He wants us to give in. Sin is a master that will not give up. We have a new master, Christ, but the old master continually calls for our attention, continually wants you and I to obey, and we have a struggle in the flesh. Because yet we don't have a glorified body, and this old flesh, as we're going to see in the rest of Romans, this old flesh has a craving for the old ways, and so the flesh continually calls, and the battle is between the flesh and the spirit. And as you and I yield unto Christ and we allow Him to work in us, the Spirit becomes, uh, empowers us to have the victory. But when you and I are lured away to sin, the listen of the old master and calling out to us, and we want to go and we want to be part of that, you and I sin. We don't have to obey it any longer. We don't have to obey it any longer. That master has no longer authority over us. But we can choose put ourselves under its dominion it's a choice that you and I make when you and I sin as believers we choose to disobey God the unsaved by nature can't help themselves The unsaved are sinners by nature and it shouldn't surprise us the depths of iniquity that the world gets into because they are sinners by nature. They can't help themselves. Their master is sin. They live in the dominion of sin. Sin reigns in their lives. There's nothing they can do about it. But you and I have been delivered into the reign of grace. We're in Christ and we're no longer in Adam and we don't have to sin. When we do, we choose to sin. to, we don't need to sin any longer. We need to remember that when we do, we need to remember what James said. James said, when we sin, we're drawn away of our own lusts and enticed. When we sin, we're to blame. We can't blame anybody else. We can't say, I just can't help it. The thing is, we want to sin. That's why we sin. We choose. Hebrews tells us about the fact that the pleasures of sin, sin is pleasurable for a season. It is attractive. If it wasn't attractive, we wouldn't do it. You know, the things that aren't attractive to us, we don't generally do them. They're not something that you and I want to be involved in. But the thing is with sin, sin is attractive, sin is appealing. And so as believers we're living in this new kingdom, we're under the reign of grace and we're in Christ, but you know the flesh looks over there and sees sin and sees what the world is getting involved in and sees the, remembers the pleasure of sin. It's a bit like the, the Jews who got into the wilderness and remembered the pleasure of Egypt, they remembered the leeks and the garlic, and the cucumbers, but they forgot the bondage. They wanted to go back to Egypt because they remembered the, the food, they remembered the pleasantries of Egypt, but they forgot the hardship of making the bricks and the, the work and the slavery and everything else that went with that. The very thing they cried to God for deliverance from is the very thing they wanted to go back to because they forgot the bad part, remembered the good part, and they craved after those things. And that's you and I as believers. We're in Christ, we, we have all the victory in Him, we have all the blessings in Him, we have all the joys of knowing Christ as our Savior, we, we are under grace, what a privileged position, but then our flesh looks over there at the world and it sees the leeks and the gargs and the cucumbers and remembers the good things and it craves after them. And then when we get there and we sin, what we realize is it wasn't that good. And our hearts are broken and we're miserable and we're sad and we have to come back to the Lord and confess and ask ask for forgiveness and ask the Lord to take care of the sin and say, Lord, we don't want to sin. We don't want to do this. But the old flesh craves it again and we're going to see that's the battle that Paul talks about in Romans 6, 7 and 8. But you and I can have the victory. We can have the victory. That's why Paul says in this passage that we must reckon ourselves dead under sin and yield ourselves unto Christ for as we do we will have the victory you see as our desires become his desires as you and I get closer to the lord and we allow the spirit of god to control us the less we will desire the things of the world the closer we are to christ the less we want to be want to turn to the world as we yield unto Him, as we reckon ourselves dead unto sin, as you and I count ourselves as indeed His children, and we walk there, we'll find that the struggle is not quite as hard. But there is a battle between the flesh and the spirit. That is the continual battle that you and I face day by day. As we desire to be in His presence, as we desire to live close to Him, then the desire for sin will weaken, and victory will be ours. It is a struggle, though. We're going to see in these chapters, these six, seven, and eight, we're going to see that Paul is not saying that there won't be a struggle. He's not saying that it's going to be easy. He's not going to say he's not going to say there is a a, a a simple remedy to this whereby you will never ever sin again. That would be nice. That will happen when we get to glory, and what a day that will be! It'd be nice to not have to. Th- have an evil thought an evil action nothing i mean we just won't be evil anymore well flesh will be gone we'll have a brand new body and you and i will have victory guaranteed so until then there will be a struggle between the flesh and the spirit it will continue but you and i need to remember that we're not to continue in sin the grace bear ban that's ridiculous Because how shall we who are dead, who have died in the past of sin, how shall we who are dead live therein? We shouldn't. We should want the victory. You see, sanctification is not some impossible dream. It's a very present reality for every believer. If you and I will recognize that sin has no more dominion over us, and that we can walk in holiness... If we will yield unto Christ, we can be sanctified. Romans chapter 6 is God's instruction on sanctification. For the Lord desires for you and I to have victorious lives. And I trust the Lord will bless each of us as we study Romans chapter 6, 7 and 8. I trust the Lord will bless us and help us, as we apply the principles of this chapter and the other chapter to our lives that we might indeed live victorious lives to the glory of God. This is a great chapter. I, I know we've spent a bit of time just on the first two verses. We are going to move a little bit quicker in the future. but I think we need to get the foundation understood. This is not sinless perfection he's talking about. This is sanctification. You and I are under a new master and we don't have to sin. And when we do sin, it's because we choose to do so, not because we have to. It's because we want to. Sanctification is a very real possibility for all of us, as we'll see in the weeks to come. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for Romans chapter 6. And we thank you, Father God, for the great doctrine of sanctification. And Lord, we know that a very real struggle that we have as believers in our lives is a struggle between the flesh and the spirit, the struggle with sin. Lord God, help us to learn from your word and glean the truths of Romans chapter 6 and 7 and 8 and help us, Father God, to indeed be able to live sanctified lives to your glory. Lord, we thank you that we've been justified by faith, justified by grace through faith and that, Father, we now have a new master Help us to honor that master day by day with our lives to your glory. Let us know as we dismiss, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.